Yeah, I didn't expect to start with tennis and wrestling, but now let's get to let's get to the NFL as the final four. I gotta say, uh, your boy Eli Herskovich cost me a little money. He convinced me that the Ravens were a juggernaut. I agree. After I to- thought all week, like, hey, I'm not going against Patrick Mahomes. I'm not going against Travis Kelsey. I'm not going against Taylor Swift. Give me the Chiefs and the points. And then he, his words just echoed in my head all weekend. I listened to another <laughs> podcast where someone was saying similar. And I was like, okay, fine. The Ravens, you're right. I was talking all year about how the Chiefs are frauds, so the Chiefs don't have it. And then the Chiefs went up and down the field twice to start the game. And then that was pretty much the end of the offense. Like, they didn't have to do anything else because the Ravens did what the Ravens do. And they choked. And Lamar Jackson did what Lamar Jackson does, and he lost in the playoffs. It's not a good sign, Sam, whenever they start calling you and comparing you to Joel Embiid, but that's what's happened to Lamar Jackson. I saw the the merger of the pictures where they they put Joel Embiid in Lamar's braids, and it's not a good sign. And then Lamar's hair and uh, Lamar Embiid, not a good thing because that means you're great in the regular season and disappear in the postseason. And it was another instance where Lamar Jackson could not get it done. And the Ravens lose. And the Chiefs do what they do, which is win playoff games. If you would have told me that Baltimore's defense would have held Kansas City to 17 points and they still lost, I would have never believed it ahead of the game. Um, I mean, Baltimore's defense in the second half I thought played really well, too. Well, the Chiefs didn't score. Yeah. I mean, it, it was uh, – but you you nailed it. Lamar was uh, very disappointing. Got to give a tip of the hat to Steve Spagnolo. I think the defensive game plan, Kansas City just kept throwing stuff at him. And so you saw the differences between Mahomes and Lamar. Lamar yesterday felt like he had a little Joe Milton in him, honestly. I mean, it's like he it was like he couldn't react quick enough to some of the stuff that the KC defense was bringing. Um. Steve Spagnuolo is as good as it gets at creating game plans. He's as good as it gets in terms of getting guys off pressure, especially in big moments. You know, he was kind of – he was the architect of the Giants defense that that knocked off Todd Brady, right. and, you know, that kind of made his name. And he's really good. There's a reason the Chiefs have him running their defense because they want to play in these big games and they need to confuse these big-time AFC quarterbacks, you know, in the playoffs. And, yeah, Lamar – made that really he made two kind of jaw-dropping plays in the first half the the touchdown pass where he gets out of a sack scrambles around kind of resets then launches the ball deep down the field for a touchdown that was awesome and then of course the the pass he ended up catching himself that was pretty awesome sometimes you'll see the ball get knocked back into the quarterback's hands and they'll just either spike it down or or maybe get back to the line of scrimmage. Lamar caught it on a dead sprint, and I was like, oh, May's about to score a touchdown. He's about to throw an 80-yard touchdown to himself. Instead, just picked up the first down. But the Chiefs did not let that get them rattled. They got them off the field to the very next series of uh, snaps. And that was kind of the story for the Ravens. Close, close. They were close to making plays. Zay Flowers catches a 50-yard bomb. Oh, well, didn't score a touchdown, gets a taunting penalty. Zay Flowers catches a a nice underneath pass that it looks like he's going to score. Instead, he gets stripped at the goal line, and instead of cutting it to a three-point game, it's a touchback, and the Chiefs continue to have a 10-point lead. It was just very frustrating things like that all day for that Baltimore offense. 
And on the other side, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, they won the game on their first two drives. And then afterwards, it's kind of like, yeah, you can't score and put any pressure on us. And when you finally do put a little bit of pressure on us, third and eight, third and nine, I'm just going to make a play deep down the field and hit Valdez Scantling and end the game. And that's what happened. That first touchdown just reminded us we're watching a legendary duo with Mahomes and Kelsey on that touchdown. I mean, that pass couldn't have gone to anybody else. You know, great touch by by Mahomes. And then this is a hell of a catch by Kelsey, too, because, I mean, it was almost too low. But uh, Well, I mean, it was against the best player that was on Baltimore's yeah. team. Like, Kyle Hamilton right. was all over the place. He was a monster, and, you know, he, he usually shuts down tight ends. Well, that was not the case yesterday because – in the playoffs, you talk about the duos, you talk about the legends. Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes prove that they are maybe the best postseason duo of all time, which is crazy to think, but they have the stats to back it up. And he was disappointing all year to the point where I thought Chiefs fans were going to turn on him, you know, because he had became a celebrity pretty much overnight, you know, since their last Super Bowl. Travis Kelsey has become maybe the, I don't want to say the face of the NFL, because that's not true. But he is maybe the most marketable star, and he was on his way to being that before he started dating the most popular female entertainer in the world. Like, he was already on a lot of those commercials, and his podcast with his brother had gained a lot of attention. And in a league that, quite frankly, likes their white stars to kind of balance out the rest of the roster, Travis Kelsey had kind of became that guy, that go-to guy. And then, like I said, then he started dating Taylor Swift and went to a whole other level. He had a disappointing regular season. To the point where you thought maybe he was washed and didn't have it anymore. And you wouldn't have been wrong. But in that first playoff game against the Dolphins, you kind of get the vibe of, oh, okay, so he's going to do the Rob Gronkowski thing where he coasts a little bit and then they take him out of the shop and you see the sports car out on the road and you're like, yeah, he's still a sports car. Well, Travis Kelsey was as good as ever yesterday. I mean, he was the best player for the Chiefs. 11 catches on 11 targets. Every time they threw the ball to him, he caught it. 116 yards and a touchdown. And... He set the tone early with a big catch on fourth down. He went up and got. He scored the touchdown. There was another drive where he had a crazy third down conversion where he's diving to catch the ball after Mahomes is kind of in trouble and flicks it up. Kelsey set the tone for that offense. And like I said, they won it in two drives. I think that uh, the other thing, too, and as I thought about it, I, I guess I understood it. There was part of Kelsey that was annoying me because it seems like he was trying to be in a, a fight or a trash-talking bout with everybody. But I, I think back to it, and I think, you know, Baltimore's approach in there, we saw it a couple of times, was they were they were trying to, you know, not literally, but figuratively speaking, murder Kansas City, you know? I mean, they were, they were physical. And I think, I guess Kelsey was really trying to fire back, be a leader, like, no, man, we're dogs, I'm, you know, it was... Like I said, while it bothered me, it was like, I get it. They were they were just trying to make sure they weren't going to get pushed around. Kelsey's got that edge to him. Yeah. He's got that bad boy kind of edge to him. And, you know, the the announcers are talking about how Baltimore had let them know, like, hey, we're going to hit Patrick Mahomes when he runs. We're going to try to make him feel it. And they took a couple of cheap shots on Mahomes. You know, they almost clotheslined him. Tony Romo made a – or Jim Nance maybe made a longest yard joke as, like, you know, Mahomes – Got clubbed in the face on a scramble, but it worked because Kelsey did help them steal three points at the end of the first half by getting Baltimore to Van Noy, I believe, got a personal foul because Kelsey was chirping and Van yeah. Noy came and headbutted him, and that kind of jump started their drive. 
that got them three points before half. And Kansas City wanted to be physical. And for lack of a better term, Baltimore wanted a street fight because they wanted to prove how tough they were and kind of set that tone. And they wanted to try to intimidate Kansas City because you do think of Kansas City kind of as a finesse team, at least in the past. This year, they're not a finesse team. This year, they are a grinded out, play defense, and like run the ball and be physical team. And Kelsey kind of set that tone for his team. So I kind of liked it. I understand if you didn't and if you found it annoying, especially when you combine who it was, you know, in his star level at this point. But I do think Kansas City needed it. And yeah. like him and Trey Smith are the dogs on offense, and Pacheco are like, hey, we're, we're tough. Those are about three as uh, tough as they, toughest guys they come for their position. And I thought Kansas City was the tougher team against Baltimore. And, and that's kind of crazy to say. Nah, I was feeling for Trey. What, he got like back-to-back holding calls? Yeah, he cost him a touchdown at the end of the first yeah. half and almost cost him three points, but Kansas City was able to get just enough yards to hit that field goal. But, yeah, it was bad for Trey. He, he took away two big plays for him. Yeah. And, we, and and he got clubbed at the end of the game on the personal foul <laughs> yeah, where, where Baltimore intentionally gave up a first down. Uh, Queen came and just absolutely laid out Trey Smith. So it wasn't a great game for Trey, but he, he does get to go back to the Super Bowl. That is true. And you talked about Baltimore wanting it to be – it felt like to me Baltimore kind of went away from what they need. They they don't have a, fr- a real front-line running back, but their running game has always been pretty solid. They didn't run the ball much. I mean, I, I, and and Lamar – I didn't feel like Lamar ran much, honestly. Um, it was – that, that kind of confounded me. Yeah, that's a good point because whenever you – in your Baltimore and you want to be so tough and you want to be physical – the defense did it. The offense was the opposite. The offense, you know, had an advantage running the ball, and the Chiefs' defense is really good in the secondary and really good at stopping the pass and not so good at stopping the run. And they gave the ball to Gus Edwards three times. He had three carries for 20 yards. Lamar Jackson had eight rushes for 54 yards. And of those, I don't know what the breakdown would even be in terms of design Lamar runs versus scrambles. I thought Lamar... I thought Lamar looked slow. Like, there was plenty of times in the open field where you're like, okay, he's getting ready to bust one, but just never did. There was a fourth and one where he got to the second level, and you're like, he's about to run away, and instead it's only a 21-yard rush instead of a, a 50- or 60-yard rush. And I know there was a one part on his last drive where he's scrambling, he's running around, and you hear Jim Nance say, uh-oh, here we go, because, you know, Lamar's in the open field and it ends up being like a six-yard run yeah. because he can't get away. and. I believe that was the drive actually where he ends up throwing an interception and a triple coverage, so not their last drive. But Lamar didn't look explosive, and he damn sure didn't look good passing the ball. And you can add a number to a pretty bad stat for him when you're looking at his postseason success. He is now 0-4 in the playoffs when his opponents score more than 13 points. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so his wins have been uh, defensive. Not so much uh, being able to to beat teams that are actually scoring. He is 0-4 against teams that score more than 13 points. Do you think this – I mean, I know there's the debate of it's really just factored into regular season. Do you think, though, that this tarnishes his odds for MVP? No, the voting is all regular season. It, it'll be kind of not quite like when Dirk Nowitzki won MVP after losing in the first round uh, to the Warriors back in 07, you know, where he has to get his – he has to satellite in to accept his MVP trophy after being embarrassed. It won't quite be like that because it was the conference championship and it was losing to Patrick Mahomes and kind of the new the new Patriots, you know, the new gold standard in the AFC. 
but it it's it kind of gives people fuel to be like, oh yeah, he's not the MVP, and it, it does kind of make it seem foolish that like it's kind of like Michael Jordan, and kind of like LeBron James to an extent, but mostly Michael Jordan of you could probably give Patrick Mahomes the MVP every year. Like I know the Chiefs' offense wasn't good, but like the, the the Chiefs' offense was passable this year because of how great Patrick Mahomes is. And then in the playoffs, you get here and it's like, oh yeah, no, Patrick Mahomes is still going to make all the plays, and he's still the best player in the league, and he's still the most valuable. That, that that's what I thought was just like it's like giving the MVP to Carl Malone in the in the late nineties ninety seven, yeah. and then like you know watching him go up against Jordan and choke. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jordan's making the plays to win. That's what it was watching Mahomes and and Lamar. To me. Then in the NFC, you somehow I don't I don't know which loss hurt more between Baltimore and the Lions, but the Lions came out and dominated. We're up 17 at halftime, and then it was tied by the end of the third quarter. Uh, a third quarter for he- from hell for the Detroit Lions as they blow that game, and San Francisco is able to avoid a pretty bad loss and set up a rematch in the Super Bowl that led to a global pandemic. So what were your takeaways from that game? I Well, we talked about this on Friday. I was feeling pretty good about myself for a minute because I was like, I kind of like the Lions, you know, but they uh, they basically um, they were dialed in so early, but I don't know. I, I think that some of uh, Dan Campbell's gambles, the thing that brought him there, kind of caught up with him, right? And I and I'm not criticizing. I just think that sometimes, yeah, that's that's how he plays and that's how he coaches and. Um, didn't work out, you know. San Francisco just what a it was a pretty historic collapse in the in the third quarter, but uh, but it was the first conference championship game that someone's blown a seventeen point halftime lead. Yeah, so yeah, it was historic in that regard. Yeah, so uh, but it was a great game. Um, I think uh, someone in this room might have had the final score correct. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say I went back and I I was listening to. You know, and I, I kind of I don't want to say cringe because I, I don't feel any different about it. But I'd said on Friday, like I really want Dan Campbell to stay aggressive. I want him to be like, this is who we are, and I'm not going to shy away from the moment. And I do feel bad that some people, Captain Hindsight's, are going to say, "Oh, you should have kicked those field goals. You should have taken those points." Because I had no problem with them going for the fourth downs. I had no problem with them bypassing a 47 yard field goal kicker. Uh, a, a kicker that's like 78%, I think, from 40 to 49 yards. Like, that's not a gimme. And, and I think on both fourth downs, he had plays that were open. Like, Goff missed a throw on that one, and earlier Josh Reynolds missed a catch. My problem is, like, the Lions just – I don't want to say realize they're, they're the Detroit Lions because that's not fair after the season they had. But Jameer Gibbs fumbling that ball – as momentum was slipping away, like as the game was turning, I don't believe in momentum, but Gibbs fumbling that ball, not great. Um, the punt, Gunner, you know, getting down to the one-yard line and just running into the end zone to, to give a touchback. Like the Josh Reynolds drops, both of them. To me, th- those were bigger plays than than Dan Campbell's decisions. I would agree. I, I thought the two, the, I mean, like almost back-to-back, Those the turning point in that game was – uh, you mentioned Gibbs fumble, but before that, that that catch by Brandon Ayuk was yeah. that's that's like 
that's iconic. That'll you'll see that one for a while, you know. Yeah, it's helmet esque. It's helmet catch esque adjacent. Like it's it's a play that makes you just say, "Oh, this is your moment. This is what. This is how you're supposed to win. This is how it feels." But since you brought it up, Bob, I mean, yeah, you're you're right. Someone did kind of nail the game. <laughs> I don't know if I can get there fully for them to win because I do think Detroit's defense is bad. I do think that. I think they got a little bit better when when Garner Johnson got back, but also I just don't know if they can stop San Francisco enough. I expect the game to be in the 30s. I'm thinking like 34-31 is kind of where I'm at. And San Francisco probably wins that game, but that gives you the Detroit cover and that gives you the over. So if I'm looking at it just from a gambling perspective, that's what I like. I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty good, Bob. I saw you cutting that this morning when I walked in. Yeah, I had to get here early <laughs> to uh, make sure I sounded smart. There was also I cut out. It could have been a little bit longer because I was like, hey, you know, those long plays that Green Bay didn't score, that's touchdowns against Detroit. And, yeah. you know, Jamison Williams had that long touchdown run. But Detroit's defense couldn't get a stop in the second half. Detroit's defense couldn't get a stop when they had to. And... You know, credit to the 49ers, I guess, for, you know, waking up because that was a terrible first half. And you're like, oh, man, Brock Purdy, this guy, huh, huh. You know, not MVP, maybe not going to be the quarterback for long with the way he had been playing in the postseason. But then the lights switched on for him. and He's out there scrambling, making plays, and, and he's the mobile quarterback from the weekend that was making plays with his legs, not Lamar Jackson. It was Brock Purdy making big third-down scrambles. I do. I yeah. I and I do love. I watched after you know you're watching after the game when Purdy's going around talking to people. He sees David Montgomery. They probably I think they played together at Iowa State, and he's just he's such a uh, he's just a flatliner. And I don't mean that as a criticism. He just you know he's he just seems like this moment was not too big for him. He was Mister Irrelevant. It's like it's it's kind of cool seeing someone you know we watch. Kelsey, who's so bombastic in that first game, and then you watch Purdy, they're totally different players, totally different level of magnitude uh, that they have on the league at the moment. But I, I guess I kind of give it to Purdy that he kind of came out of nowhere and he still it hasn't changed him. You know what I mean? It doesn't appear to have. With that great analysis, ask me how much money I won on the game yesterday. Zero dollars because your boy Eli Herskovich came and convinced me that the the Baltimore Ravens were going to blow out the Chiefs. So not only did I have Baltimore at the game, and then at halftime I was like, you know what, I'm going to take Baltimore plus five and a half. And Zay Flowers can't hold on to the ball diving into the end zone. Lamar can't get a touchdown throwing in a triple coverage. And then the refs missed a, a clear hold on Isaiah Likely on that third down. To, I couldn't even get a garbage-time touchdown. They kick a field goal. So, zero dollars. Zero dollars did I make on the Detroit Lions correctly predicted the spo- score. Sam, what were your thoughts from either one of those games? Let's hear from you. Yeah, I mean, I think starting in that in that AFC game, I think it was an unbelievable performance from Spagnola in that defense, like you were saying, Bob. I think they came with a, you know, a great game plan to stop Lamar and, and had some exotic looks for him in terms of rushes that they brought and I thought they did a great job of of containing him and not letting him get loose too much. I thought Lamar was kind of stuck in between, like, deciding whether or not he wanted to run the ball and pass the ball, and I think he was just like, it's that, you know, it's that indecision is wrong decision type of thing. Yeah, you know, I I made a joke, didn't hit, it made me laugh. After he had that deflected pass that he caught, I was like, oh, Bill Bill Polian is vindicated because he wanted him to, like, come play wide receiver. 
And then that tweet took on a different life as the game went on because it's like, yeah, Bill Polian maybe was vindicated that Lamar's not a quarterback. And, I, I, you know, that's an extreme take. Obviously, he's MVP and he's a quarterback. But, like, he had a rough game where he just looked – he looked just, he looked two steps slow, not even a step slow. Like, physically he wasn't fast, but mentally, like you said, he was just playing indecisively. He didn't know if he wanted to just take off and scramble because I'm sure he wants to be like, hey – I can beat you passing, and I'm going to throw the ball down the field. And also just not recognizing where the blitzes were coming from. Mm -hmm. You know, he was two steps slow and indecisive, and he didn't play with his instincts, and, you know, that that really hurt his performance. So, yeah, I think that's a good analysis there, Sam, in terms of him just being slow and indecisive and not knowing what he wanted to do because that, that kind of was what killed him. Kansas City did a good job of, you know, having spies on him. Yeah. But still, like, you know, he he's supposed to be able to outrun the spy. They didn't even have Willie Gay, too. Like, that's kind of been that linebacker, and, you know, in this whole season has been kind of that spy linebacker against a mobile quarterback, and, and it wasn't a problem for him. Now, what about in the NFC? Any thoughts on the uh, the Lions and 49ers? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one for the Lions. I, I think it was an impressive, you know, impressive performance from the Niners to be able to come back and, and you know, kind of take those licks in the first half and, and stay calm and, and respond. You know, I think they've gotten – smacked in the mouth in, in both of their playoff games so far and have been able to respond and, and pull out wins. So I think it's it's obviously a testament to the to the culture that they've got over there in San Francisco and they and they don't blink, you know, when they get in in there and under pressure. But I really thought they were gonna blink. I really thought it was gonna I, be like, oh, like here it. we go, Kyle Shanahan, this is what Kyle Shanahan does and here we go. Can Brock Purdy prove it in the playoffs and he did it. Yeah. 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 I mean I, Detroit Stars played pretty well. Montgomery ran the ball well. St. Brown was awesome. Laporta was awesome. Although Laporta, you know, got a little bit of garbage time at the end to kind of make his stats look better. One of my takeaways was that I thought that Detroit should have – I thought they went away from the run a little bit too much in the second half. Well, yeah. I mean, whatever they did in the second half did not work. Yeah. So, uh, But, like, before before last night, the Lions had gone for fourth and three in plus territory. Fourth and three or less. So, fourth and three, two and one, obviously. Yep. Uh, in plus territory, so that means on the other side of the field. They had done it 20 times in 24 opportunities. So, like, they'd had 24 chances to do it, and they did it 20 times. And they converted 17 of those. So far, 2-2 two and two in the playoffs at getting those. So, like, they had been really good at getting those. And they had the plays. It's just they didn't They didn't capitalize. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, you know, get it and, and, and like – <laughs> it's going to be easy to blame Dan Campbell for that. I personally am not going to. I will personally just say he stayed aggressive, he stayed smart, and didn't buckle, and just Goff and and Josh Reynolds kind of let him down. I also respect that he kind of stayed true to what got him there all season. Yeah, you know, yeah, like I, mean, I think it would have been different if you know you you always kind of do those fourth down conversions in the regular season, then you get to the NFC Championship game and you stop. I just think that's not their identity. Well, yeah, to me, it would have been way worse to kick that field goal. And then not touch the ball again. And, like, the, the 49ers either score a touchdown with under a minute left or kick a game-winning field goal of no time left. And you're Dan Campbell wondering, like, what? why did we do that? Why did we not stay true? There was that game against the Chargers earlier this year where they bypassed a game-winning field goal with about a minute and 50 left and went for a first down and got it on fourth and two and then kicked the game-winning field goal because that's what they did. And they had plays for it all year long and just didn't capitalize. Go ahead, Bob. Um, no, what I was going to say was uh, if you – I don't know if you all you might have listened to Campbell's post-game press conference. 
I appreciate what he said. It's kind of like what you said, Sam. He was like, no, this is what we do. And he was like, and he was the first to say, he goes, it wasn't rooted in any analytics. It's my gut. You know, this is this is how we've rolled all season long. And you're right. I think he was, and he said that. He was like, I, I just don't think that I, I they're going to, I was assuming they're going to run the clock if they get the ball back. And, and so I, I just wanted to to try to seize the moment. Yeah, and their kicker's not great either. And I don't know if he's, like, scared to use the word analytics because the analytics did agree. And I would imagine, like, they've told someone in his organization or maybe he himself knows, like, the fourth and shorts are worth it. Like, that is the right analytic play. So maybe he's trying to shy away from that word and just say, hey, I'm doing using my gut because that's easier to defend against the old-school football people. It's so funny, like, the old-school football people want – fire and gut and, and and to go for those plays and trust your instincts. And a lot of times for coaches, that means like, hey, go for fourth downs. And they're like, no, don't do that. Be, be scared. Kick the ball. One thing we glossed over, um, Jawan Jennings made a, a pretty oh, yeah. critical catch. It was, what, I think third and four. And it was – they were still down 24-7. And um, I that guy – just we, I know we always talk about that he's he's you know just such a gamer. That was his only catch of the day, but it was a big one. Yeah, exactly. He's just you know two of the maybe the two most beloved balls of the last decade. I mean, maybe you throw Dobbs in there, you throw in Derek Barnett. I mean, there's probably a couple names, but Juwan Jennings, Trey Smith, to me, maybe the two most beloved balls since 2010. Going to be mixing it up in the Super Bowl. As Patrick Mahomes gets back, takes on Brock Purdy. This is a stat I saw, and I'll end this segment with it. In the past 10 seasons, the NFC, do you know how many quarterbacks they've had represent them in the Super Bowl the past 10 seasons? Mm. 10. 10. They've had 10 different quarterbacks every year. There's been somebody new. Nobody in the NFC has been a repeat representative in the Super Bowl. Brock Purdy, Jalen Hurts, Matthew Stafford, Tom Brady, Jimmy G, Jared Goff, Nick Foles, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, Russell Wilson. God. Russell Wilson went back-to-back in 13 and 14, but that would be the 11th year. On the flip side, the AFC, if you wanted to get to, their, to, get to 10 different quarterbacks, you have to go all the way back to John Elway in 97-98. It's been, yeah. you know, basically, what, 18 years since you've had to get to uh, – uh, since you since you could get no, not eighteen years no I did the math wrong that's what twenty six years twenty six years since you uh, have to uh, t- until you get to a tenth quarterback this is Mahomes' fourth appearance of course you know Tom Brady had a whole bunch of them in the AFC Manning a whole bunch of them Roethlisberger three Ryan Tannehill no no not Ryan Tannehill <laughs> no, never hey. a Super Bowl appearance for Ryan Tannehill oh, Super Bowl I thought it was AFC Championship no no no, no Super Bowl appearance okay, no yeah, no yeah. ten different Super Bowl quarterbacks. And yeah, you have to go back 20, 26 years to get to That's ten crazy, AFC yeah. quarterbacks. And two, and and also Jerry Rice had two records fall yesterday yeah. uh, for what most touchdowns in a season went to McCaffrey, and then most receptions in postseason mm-hmm. to Kelsey. Yeah, yeah. Time marches on for Jerry Rice. It's always good whenever you can beat Jerry Rice records. So uh, absolutely, good, good job by those guys. All right, Sam, send us a break. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Wow. 
Dalton Connect and Tennessee basketball kept it rolling on Saturday. Kind of a rough start. Kind of a rough start. You're like, oh, no, Memorial Magic. Here we go. The team's going to struggle. No, no, no. The second half, Tennessee able to seize control. Dalton Connects, awesome in the second half. Bob, your takeaways. Um, yeah, I, I felt the same. You know, after mediocre first half, Vandy was shooting uncharacteristically well. Um, and they were also taking the air out of the ball a little bit, trying to slow Tennessee down. Meanwhile, Tennessee's clanking free throw oh after free throw. Oh, my God, yeah. And then, you know, of course, this is probably a little emotional, but it was, I think, it felt like almost a historically bad job by the officials. I mean, they were they were terrible. And, I mean, the, the epitome of that, never mind the calls, but Barnes is John with one of the officials, and the other official comes and tees him up. I mean, it... I, it, I that was that was giving me a bad feeling. I was like, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but it's still Vanderbilt. Oh, this team's different. So I felt at halftime, I was on the RTI thread with those guys, and we typically do that kind of like you know win or loss. And I was like, it's still going to be a win. And thankfully, Dalton Connect still happened, like he always does. And that's, he is inevitable. Yeah, it's incredible, man. 21 second half points by my count on my rewatch. He finishes with 32. He had 16 just from the 15-minute mark on. Really, like in a 13-minute stretch, a 12-minute stretch, he had 16 points where he just kind of put the team on his back. There was a couple of key moments, I thought, because, I mean, Vanderbilt hung around, hung around, hung around. There's a big Adu block that led to a Dalton Connect layup with 14 minutes left. And then there was a... Uh, the next, a couple possessions later, Mayshack came up with a huge offensive rebound and then got it out to connect for another three. That kind of jump-started Tennessee's 10-0 run that kind of put the game away. But Tennessee just made plays and connect, like I said, just inevitable. 32 points, great shooting night again, 13 of 21 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3. Buffalo's number's really good. Uh, 3 of 7 from the free throw line, not great, not great. And shout-out to Ron Slay for – Asking him about it after the game, I thought that was funny. Yeah. And Connect laughs and says, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sure my dad's already blown up my phone about my free throws. So, you know, kind of it's nice to come out of a good game and still have some stuff to work on to keep you from getting too big-headed. So I think Tennessee has a couple of those. Those were the positives, at least for me. The big standout every time is going to be Dalton Connect. Ganey with another solid game, hit a big three, ten points. But I can't help but look at the starting lineup and see zero shot attempts or zero makes, only two shot attempts from Josiah Jordan James. Yeah, he's in his head, bad. Yeah, he he did you know a couple little intangible things, but that's what we're left with now. You know, like there was one where he tipped a loose ball late in the game, which kept possession for us. And I, I mean, but that's what we're left with. We uh, that's not good. That's 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 pretty disappointing. Um, Vescovi, I thought played pretty well. Um, Hit a couple key shots. Basketball was, was great. He was involved in a really key play. I was surprised the refs swung the call our way, which was the uh, hook and hold call uh, that that really helped kind of change the complexion of the game. It was already changing, but that that really locked it in. Um, Connect. I got to share a quick quick story with uh, as I watch Connect. I always talk 
with my wife about this. I'm a dog person, and John, I know you're a dog person. I love my dog. My dog's 11 years old, and I'm starting to think about. Come on, my my dog's 14. I don't want to hear this. Yeah, like you I know, know where you're going. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. So, but that's my point. I'm having a little of that with Dalton Connect. You know, it's like as great as he is, it's like, and I I gotta enjoy it. I, I'm always saying this for all the people that are critical of the team, saying, oh, we'll wait till March. I always say, enjoy the here and now. That's what I got to do with Dalton. But I I got to admit, I got a little of that. That remorse, like, oh, man, he's going to be gone pretty soon. It's like, just enjoy what you got. Well, I think I might be sadder about the idea of running out of time with Dalton Connect than I am. uh, I had 14 years of Frank. I mean, anything now is just house money. But, yeah, I think I'm more uh, sad that you're pointing out that we are, you know, basically past the halfway point with Dalton Connect. And I I think he – even had me in my fields on Saturdays. Like I wish I had spent all my years here. Like I love, I love Vol Nation. I love Sam Vol Nation. Vol Nation, they're the best. They they came to Nashville. They came to Georgia. They're everywhere. I love this school. I love my teammates. I love my coaches. And he's clearly. Have you, I don't know if any of you saw this picture on. Uh, it's on RockyTopInsider.com, and our boy Ryan Shumpert's in the picture. Um, they're doing the interview with Connect. Do you see that? And, and it's all the players are there asking him questions too. You know, like Adu and Mayshack. Adu's raising his hand, like I got a question. Um, this team's definitely uh, Barnes calls it locked in, but I think they're anybody who was concerned. There was some chatter early. I think it was the North Carolina game about that there might be some discord in the locker room. That may be true, and that does happen from some you know time to time. Particularly when you're bringing two guys in at that point, it was him and Ganey that are shot takers, and they were taking a lot of them. Um, it feels like we're past that, right? Well, I was gonna say it does seem like you're now in the the makeup sex portion of it, where there might have been some beef, but now you're overcompensating, and you got that glow for the next couple weeks or month, where you're gonna really try and therapy's working, and you're doing all those things to really show like, hey, things are good now. Maybe we've turned a corner, and yeah, like. There could have been some jealousy. There could have been some of those things at the beginning. But, you know, I don't understand how you could be on this team and not realize, like, hey, this this is our best path to doing something special is this guy's special. Totally agree. And, and Rick Barnes, you know, they had a quote from him where he said he was asked about these shots and the players and how they handled Dalton Connect. And there's like, actually, it, it turns them on. It fires them up whenever he gets going because, A, it's fun to watch. This is me ad-libbing now. But, A, it's fun to watch. And, B, like – you know, whenever he goes on those streaks, the team starts running away from opponents and winning games, and I, I think the players would have to be bought into that. We were ta- the three of us were texting back and forth, and uh, I think Sam, you said that you thought there was a play where you thought Connect was going to baptize somebody. <laughs> oh yeah, and but yeah. my point in that is he. It's like I see something new with him every game that blows my mind. Like that play, I was thinking the same thing. Like, God, he's going to try to throw this down. But then he couldn't because the defender kind of spaced it properly. But then he did something else. You know, his his use of his left hand and, and you know and his right hand, just depending upon the situation, it's a joy to watch, man. It's it's incredible. It's like I said, I see something different from him every game that, that kind of amazes me. Sam, your thoughts from Tennessee's win over Vanderbilt, 75-62. to 62. Tough break if you laid the 13.5 or 14 points with Tennessee as Vanderbilt got a late layup to uh, cover. And then Dalton Connect almost hit one of his nastiest shots. He, he tried to get it for you on a contested three. It rimmed out. But, yeah, condolences there if you, had the, if you laid the points. Sam, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, that was on my mind, the points. Uh, that, that was a tough one for me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's obviously a, an unbelievable performance from Connect. He's been 
you know, obviously he's, he's dropping 30 plus in just about every single SEC game it, it feels now, and he's doing it efficiently. Um, you know, to me, I think outside of that, I, I think that Jordan Ganey's uh, production here in the last couple of games is something that you've got to feel really, really good about if you're Tennessee. I think that's a, a guy that is going to be really important for this team come March. I think that you're going to need uh, minutes and production from him off the bench come March, and I think that that's a guy that is starting to kind of get comfortable, I think, with his role and kind of getting his feet back under him after a, a rough patch there at the start of the season, or kind of in the middle half, I guess, a little bit there. Um, and yeah, and I think Santi as well, and John, you brought it up that, that you didn't get anything out of Josiah. I feel like that's kind of the the last infinity stone almost for this team to, to really go to that elite level and that, you know, like, final four national championship aspirations if you can just get a little bit more production out of a guy like that six or eight points or something like that I think this turns into an elite team yeah I just want like I'll even take just six points from Josiah or maybe maybe the key is just to get like 18 combined between him and Vescovy Mm -hmm. 15 combined I mean you couldn't even get 15 combined and, and Santa gave you 12 like Santa's game to me that's a perfect stat line for him yeah yep I thought that's exactly where I want him you hit a couple threes, you dish out a couple of assists, you grab some rebounds, you help there. Like, Tennessee had a team effort of rebounding, so I thought that was nice. But, yeah, I mean, 12 points, five rebounds, two assists to me, hit two threes. That's, that's a perfect Santee game at this point. He's he's a sneaky good rebounder yeah, for a no, guard, he's, right? He, he's really good at sneaking in there and getting those getting those boards. Yeah. Tennessee did that kind of as a, a team effort, you know. Uh, you had – Connect with six, Zakai with four, Vescovy with five, James with four. So, like, everyone in the starting lineup, you know, kind of chipping in there. I just – I keep coming back to this picture, though, Bob. Look at this picture. I know we're not on video, so you guys can't see it, but just look at this picture. And and what do you think happens here on this play? This is Dalton Connect beating a double team to drop it off to Josiah on the block. Oh, I saw. No, that needs to be a layup. That's right? a layup or a dunk or get yeah. fouled. You have a step and a guy closing down from the, the middle of the key. And instead it was Josiah kicking the ball out to the top of the key to Jonas Adu. It's yeah. one thing if you're kicking out to a wide open Vescovy. It's another thing if you're kicking out to a wide open connect. <laughs> but I'm kicking it out to the top of the key to our center. Our center. Like, to me, that that's... Yeah, that was that. That was my first thought. Is like, okay, it's in his head. That's that's uh, because we've seen that earlier in the season too, where where Triple J would he would dunk that. I mean, some, he was aggressive earlier in the season. Right, the rim. it's like right. it finally clicked. Like, hey, I can actually dribble and dunk. He did it twice in the Illinois game. I mean, it was uh, it was great. Uh, it was great to see. But yeah, I that I saw that same play. I couldn't believe it. I was like, come on, man, you're six seven. What is what is that? If you're playing 30 minutes a game, we need you to shoot it more than twice. You yeah. Know? Yeah. The like, minutes distribution, he was able to, to double up Meshack. So the idea of Meshack taking his minutes did not uh, come to fruition on on Saturday, as it was a heavy starter minutes game. Maybe because of uh, you know the struggles, and then when you did go on the run, you didn't really switch up the lineup. I even I actually didn't make any notes of who was in the game, what lineup was in the game whenever Tennessee went on their big run, but. Yeah, I need, I need Josiah to be a little bit more aggressive, but other than that, it's not really anything to nitpick. I thought Tennessee played a pretty good second half. 
he only gave you five minutes, but I thought J.P. Estrella played really solid in his time, and I think that's a guy who's also kind of getting comfortable a little bit with that. You know, a, another big man that's coming off the bench, I think that'll be big in terms of kind of just rotational depth pieces come March. And he's kind of fun to watch, too, during timeouts. He's yeah. one of the first people on the court. He has a good time. He has a really so good like, time out there. He'll, be, he'll leave Tennessee a fan favorite, oh, yeah. I, I think, the the longer he is here. But the, uh, the minutes situation we've been talking about for a couple of weeks where we were seeing kind of a trend for more minutes for DeLeon and maybe a little less for Ganey. Now that Ganey's hitting shots, that's changing again. Yeah. Ganey 15, DeLeon only one. So, yeah, yeah. that's – Ganey holding him off and kind of reestablishing himself in the rotation. And I know a lot of people make the Tyreek Key connection or comparison, but I'm hoping he's more of 2014 Antonio Barton, who got off to a pretty good start after transferring from Memphis, went through a bad slump, but then was a key part of Tennessee making that Sweet 16, and he was pretty good, you know, the final month of the season. So Ganey, of course, not in the final month of the season, but does seem to be kind of rounding back into that form. So hopefully he's not Tyreek Key. Hopefully he's more of an Antonio Barton. We'll talk with Rocky Top Insiders Ryan Schumpert coming up after the break. We'll talk some more ball hoops. Stick with us. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. All right, let's hit the phone lines. It's time to read and react with Ryan Schumpert from Rocky Top Insider. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Hope you're well. Appreciate you guys having me on. Hope you're all having a good Monday. As we get here... Towards the end of January, and Tennessee has played their 19th game. I'm curious. Are you immune to the greatness of Dalton Connect? Are you? Is it just now something that you're used to watching? Or does it still blow your mind that Tennessee has a player as good at scoring the basketball as he is? It still blows my mind. And I think that, you know, de- December little cold stretch he had probably helped with that. But even then, you know, he was playing great early in the season. But besides the North Carolina, it was a lot of mid-20s, just really good performances. And for him to roll out the way he started SEC play um, and just so easeless, you know, carelessly score, just how, how easy it seems to come to him. And, you know, just getting to the basket with both hands, both sides, finishing at different angles. It, he just makes everything look so routine. Um, it's starting to get hard to write about and finding different ways to – describe his greatness and talk about how well he's playing that part's maybe getting a little bit hard um but certainly not immune to it at this point it's it feels like a blessing every time you get to watch him here you go ryan as a professional here's some advice you gotta up the stakes okay because first couple games i watched i was beating the drum sec player of the year okay then we graduated to best tennessee offensive player since alan houston to which now on Saturday I had to climb the best SEC player since Anthony Davis. So you just got to keep raising the stakes and, and praising his greatness. They're... I think that's smart, John. And you're actually, it's an idea I had for a story this week. And I think I'm going to write it after the South Carolina game. Of You know, obviously Zach Eadie's been the, the long shot favorite uh, to win the national player of the year after winning it last year. And obviously he's so consistent in his size, but. It, Saturday feels like the chance. You know, if Dalton, Dalton Connects played so well, I think he's made it where he's at least starting to become in the consideration a little bit. At least people are turning to him as that next guy. And if he can go out and do in Lexington on Saturday what he's done really every other road game this season and Tennessee can win on the road, I think all of a sudden you're going to see a guy that's going to be, you know, really making himself in the conversation for National Player of the Year. 31.4 points per game, 5.4 rebounds per game. Shooting 47% from three and 62% from the field. Those are Dalton Connect's five true road games. With that being said, Ryan, 
whenever you said that you have that story idea, there was a part of me that recoiled because you're setting yourself up for some real hate if you write that story and then he goes to Rupp Arena and doesn't play to that standard. Yeah, certainly. And obviously, uh, Antonio Reeves, the season he's had, I know Kentucky fans and maybe some national media members, you know, this weekend were kind of quick to to downplay Dalton's success in uh, hopes of raising up Reeves. So you're right, I'm especially setting myself up for failure if Reeves has a big game and, and Dalton Connect doesn't. And I think, you know, you you kind of feel guarded against that, especially look at how poorly things have gone for Tennessee the last two years in Rupp, really getting run out of the gym two years ago. And last year it wasn't the final score wasn't quite as bad, but it felt like that game was over eight minutes into the game. But it feels like every big game Dalton Connect, you know, he answers the call and certainly he's been – even better on the road and even better in the most hostile environment. So uh, I think you're always a little prone to to look out for that, to look out for the, you know, to let down. And, and obviously that, that remains true, but man, it, it just feels like if anybody's the one that's going to keep raising the stakes and keep answering the bell or connects the guy. Hey Ryan, uh, we were talking about this before this segment, the, uh, the picture on the uh, RTI website that you're in, you're front and center there, by the way, with uh, everybody huddled around Dalton um, doing the postgame presser with him after the the Vandy game and all the players are there. And it just it's a great picture. It just makes you smile without even reading the story or watching the video. My question to you is, how's Dalton doing in this moment based on your time talking to him? I mean, it, does does it feel like he's... You know, it, it just seems to me we're seeing it on the floor. It doesn't feel like the moment's too big. Um, how's he doing it in just in terms of interacting? I, I would say also in this picture what I love, too, is just seeing all the teammates there. That just shows that, that this, this this bunch is in sync right now, it feels like. And, you know, I, I try not to be over dramatic with this, but he really feels like the perfect superstar in the sense that on the court, he wants he wants the moment. It never feels too big for him. You know he likes when the stakes are higher, and then off the court, you know he he enjoys it. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He's enjoyed being playing in a twenty thousand seat arena and being the guy on a big college campus. And how could you not after the journey he's had? Uh, and you know you know Thornton, Colorado. That's not exactly a a basketball hotbed. So you know it's it's just at no point in his basketball life has it been anything like this. But at the same time, it it doesn't feel like he's gotten a big head. He feels, again, I could not be seeing all of it, but it seems like he's very humble. Uh, when you talk to him in press settings or one on one, you know he's always more prone to talk about his teammates, or he's going to talk a lot more about his in a lot more detail about his teammates and about what he wants to do or about what he does. Uh, so in that sense, you know you can see his teammates really embrace him. It doesn't feel like he's gotten too arrogant, at least off the court. And you know it, what I think. The Tennessee basketball account, you know, tweeted out all the kids that were down there in the corner after the game, and he was signing autographs, and we were kind of waiting on him to do media because he was out there taking pictures and signing autographs. That's been a common theme. I think after the Alabama game, uh, at home games, you know, it's usually a while after we do media uh, or after the game before we do media with Barnes and players. So, you know, it was probably an over an hour after the game and we got done with all that stuff, and you walk back, back on the court and he's still out there signing autographs and talking to kids and stuff. So, uh, again, kind of just to reiterate what I said earlier, it really feels like he's the, super, the perfect superstar uh, and loving the moment on the court and enjoying it off the court but not you know, not getting the big head about it. I mean, he, he couldn't have said it better, too. I mean, for the fan base to just love him even more, you know, that quote that 
I know you heard it. Uh, I love Tennessee. I wish I had played all my college years here because I love it here. Love Vol Nation. I love my teammates. I love my coaching staff. I love Vol Nation. A lot of love. But, I mean, talk about somebody who's also trying to say, you know, he knows he's special, but it's also like, man, it's not just about this. This is an amazing experience for me because of this program and this fan base. That's, uh, uh, I mean, he's he's creating legend just by the way he's carrying himself. I mean, he has a chance to put himself in a, a lot of people's top three or four Tennessee basketball players of all time. Now, I mean, I, I, I know there will be some older people who push back and say, hey, not everything that's the most recent is the best. But for my generation and people even younger than me, like he might be their favorite player after one year. And like that, that those are the stakes he's playing with. I'm looking at a NBA draft.net's most recent NBA mock draft. He's risen all the way to number six in terms wow. of where they're projecting him to go. We've talked a lot about Dalton Connect and with good reason. Ryan, what was the second biggest storyline coming out of the Vanderbilt game? I think it's probably Jordan Ganey, again, starting to find his rhythm and hitting some big shots for Tennessee. You know, I think Rick Barnes called the, the one he hit eh, maybe five or six minutes into the second half, one of the big turning points in the game as they kind of started to find some separation. And, uh, again, this team, you know, it's, it's so much easier when you have a guy like Dalton Connect. And I've seen some people, really less Tennessee fans, but more national people or just more vague college basketball fans be like, well, Tennessee's just really, they're really Dalton Connect dependent. Well, you know, after watching them closely with this main core for the last couple of years, it's like they didn't have a guy. And now they do have a guy, and all these guys can play perfectly into their role. Uh, and I think you continue to see that what Santiago Vescovi did, I thought, had one of his better games, starting to shoot the ball better, um, playing with a little bit more consistent. I thought probably those two guys were the two. Ganey and Vescovi were the two I pointed to as being probably the biggest in that win besides Connect, who, uh, again, was obviously the best player. So for how poorly Ganey was playing to start SEC play, for him to have a second straight big game, I thought that was huge. For Vescovi just to see some shots go down, I feel, I feel like the whole year, for the most part, uh, a couple game stretches where he probably hasn't played very well, but it's just been the shooting, and a lot of it he just takes a lot less shots, so he's not going to put up the numbers that he did last year. Um, but uh, for Tennessee, to, they've been a pretty right at the median nationally as a three-point shooting team this year. It feels like if the offense is going to find another gear, it's going to be some guys getting hot, and Tennessee starting to shoot you know, in the upper 30s instead of the kind of low to mid-30s from the perimeter. Uh, that's how they, they get even better and they become even more potent. So those two guys playing well against Vanderbilt, shooting the ball well from the perimeter, uh, I certainly thought was a good sign. That's so stupid. That's so stupid. The Take away your best player and your team's not very good. Like It's basketball. You can say this about every championship team at every level. And this isn't Hoosiers, which, by the way, I maintain, they still had Jimmy Chitwood with the ball at the end of the game. Take away Jimmy Chitwood and the Hoosiers would have lost the state championship. You can say that about Michael Jordan's Bulls, about Kobe's Lakers, about LeBron in every game. Like, every every Steph Curry, every team that wins, you can say, take away their best player and Willie wouldn't be that good. Well, you got a best player for a reason. A hundred percent. And one person that I was having the conversation with, and they were kind of asking me about it, and I was like, yeah, you know, Dalton struggles after the first weekend, you know, they'll probably struggle to win. I think they could probably survive some games in the opening weekend if he struggled. It's like, it's just exactly to your point. What team in the country, if their best offensive player played bad in the Sweet 16 and in the Elite Eight, would not be in a lot of trouble? I mean, that's that's the nature of college basketball and how random it could be, and, and really basketball as a whole. So, you're right. It's 
Uh, I've seen some Kentucky fans saying it too. It's just it, the kind of the hypocrisy uh, of what you said of it not really mattering. It's five people on the court. You know, it's the one sport where one guy can truly raise your team's ceiling so so much, and then just comparing it to the last couple of years when that's really truly been the one thing that Tennessee's missing. And now you return all these guys that were good, not great players, uh, and now they can be even better just in their roles and not having to do too much. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it's so rich coming from Kentucky fans, too, by the way. Like, like yeah. John Calipari hasn't hey, said, hey, hey, here, John Wall, here's the ball, go do something. Hey, Derrick Rose, can you carry us? Like, Kentucky and John Calipari has been doing this for a long time, so to watch them complain that now someone has a better go-to player is rich. The only, the only fan base I'll listen to is Auburn. Because Bruce has been too dumb to give his best player the ball. Like, we had to watch Jabari Smith yield to Katie Johnson shooting ball <laughs> instead of feeding him. So that's the only fan base I'll listen to. Hey, Ryan. Oh, go ahead, Ryan. Go. I was going to say, did you all see? Bruce had the quote, I think it was after the game on Saturday. It was like, you know, some of our guys need to, need to realize when they're not shooting well, they don't need to shoot it. And it was just an incredible incredible quote from Bruce after the way he's he's coached those guys and kind of, <laughs> Building like enabling Katie Johnson and, and Wendell Green, who I know is not there anymore, to to do that fully the last few years. Um, so there, I want to talk about a player who I feel is really critical to the team, but has kind of fallen off the radar. Um, I'd love to get your take on this because I think it's going to be it's a it's a factor when we get near March, um, and that is I'm looking at Tobey Awaka's minutes over the last four games against Georgia, seven minutes, Florida, 17, and then five minutes against Alabama and Vanderbilt. And are you getting any sort of read? I mean, one thing we've watched with him is he's um, he draws fouls quickly, which it's a byproduct of how he plays and the aggressiveness he brings. But, man, do we need that guy to be able to play at least, you know, and by my, my measure, 10 to 12 minutes a game, that would be – that would be optimal, and particularly going into tournament time. I'm just curious what your take is on what's going on with him right now. He's probably the one guy that I'd point to is really struggling right now. And and you're right, they need, they need more from him. And I think it really just it starts and ends with the fouling. And some of it is the nature of how he plays. And, you know, he's picking up some of these fouls going after rebounds. But I think you live with those. To me, it's just the over-aggressiveness on defense and not – when guys get into his chest and him not playing straight up or, or not as much reaching but just being too aggressive trying to block shots or playing over the top of guys, he's just picking up too many, you know, sometimes there maybe you can get away with him in college basketball, but when you watch it, it's just like, yeah, that's going to look like a foul nine times out of ten to officials. So that's the thing I really look at to me is the biggest thing um, is playing defense without fouling more than even just picking up the fouls. But they need more from him, and I think you – offensively you know sometimes I think him being in the right spot and less knowing what to do and more just spacing the court uh, when things kind of break down into that iso ball or pick and roll at the end of end of possessions is what I'd point to but you know they certainly need more from him you know I, I have confidence that it is just a rut and he'll be able to get back to what you said maybe 10 minutes a game of playing pretty solid I don't think the ceiling is going to be super high for him this season but you know, I think on the positive note or a flip side of that, you got to give some credit to, to J.P. Estrella, who is, again, not playing big minutes, but continues to get some first-half run and playing five or six minutes in these games. And, uh, again, isn't a star, isn't great, but is continuing to look more and more comfortable out there and giving them another op option when a walk of struggles. And then certainly we're going to see some games or 
Tennessee hopes they get deep into the tournament where they play some teams with some real elite big men scorers. And in those games, as we've kind of seen in Tennessee's four losses this year, they're going to need a third big man to give them some minutes and give them some fouls. And so let's also, and of course the minutes have not been abundant for this guy, but it's not lost on me to see uh, Freddie DeLeon had only one minute the other night against Vandy, and is that is just as simple as, uh, they're different players, but just as simple as Ganey's producing now, and so he's going to get the, the share of the minutes off the bench at, at a guard spot. Uh, what are your thoughts there? I think that's probably a part of it, but I don't I don't really think it's just as simple as that because I think really more you've seen Freddie get those first half minutes when Zakai's on the bench. So I think it's more about that, and I think he got one minute the other night because he had a really bad turnover. I mean, he, he picks up the ball in the corner right across half court, gets trapped and, and traveled, and Rick Barnes is running down to the baseline where the bench is Memorial Gymnasium to, to get him out of the game. So I think that's what it was more about uh, on Saturday. Um, and certainly Freddie had gotten a little bit of run as as the off, off-ball guard when Ganey was struggling. But uh, I think it's you're continuing to get his ideal role is to get those minutes off the bench for Zakai, whatever that's going to be, three to five minutes in the first half. And if he plays well, maybe he gets a couple minutes in the second half too. Um, so really, uh, I think those guys can uh, still, they can both play minutes. They can both come off the bench and help this team. And really, they don't overstep too, too much. And I think Saturday night was more about Freddie struggling and the one minute he was in there. Ryan Shumpert, RockyTopInsider.com. Appreciate your time. So what are all you working on this week? You're going to maybe potentially jinx Dalton Connect and make everyone hate you, and what are the other things you're working on? <laughs> yeah, we'll have plenty of basketball stuff getting ready for tomorrow night against South Carolina, and obviously have coverage from that game, looking at things uh, headed into Kentucky on Saturday, and then probably a little bit more football stuff and slowly and slowly and surely getting closer to baseball season, so I'm sure we'll have some more of that. So we're starting to get into that crossover season, and obviously – Football really never never stops in these parts. So uh, plenty of stuff on all three big sports over at RTI this week. Yeah, how many days away are we from baseball now? We're within like 30, right? We're down to like low 20s? Low 20s. Yeah, we're, now we're down to the teens now. It would have, Friday would have been 21. So okay. well, that makes it eight, 18 days now, less, okay. less than three weeks away from them opening up the season. Ryan Schumpert, appreciate your time. This is one of my favorite segments of the week. Love having you on. Talk to you next week. Appreciate the kind words. Appreciate you guys having me on. Y'all have a good week. Talk to you again on Monday. Thank you, buddy. Yes, sir. RockyTopInsider.com. I'll just ride to the end of the hour here. No sense in catching a break and coming back and doing a sports animal two-minute segment. We won't do that to you here. We'll just ride on out. Uh, Sam, you've been quiet during that uh, during that interview. Anything Ryan said stand out to you? Any thoughts on anything we've said that you want to add to? Um, no, I mean, I, I think I heard a lot about you know, from from Ryan that I kind of took away from that game uh, this weekend. You know, I mean, I think he mentioned, you know, obviously Santi and and Ganey kind of having those big minutes. I think that is is something that's really going to be important to this team. I think that obviously you've got a, a dynamic score and connect that's gonna that's gonna give you that those minutes and and, and those points just about every single night. And and obviously, uh, Adu has become a big that's that's given you that you know, that, that push as well. And I think Ziegler is going to give you that as well. So I think that it kind of just comes down to a couple of those guys uh, after that in terms of just, you know, that next step, I think. And, you know, you can get, you can win most games with those three guys. And I think if you can just get production out of a Ganey and one of the two of, of Santi and Josiah James, that, 
I, I think that you got to feel pretty good about this team going pretty far. Yeah, to to your point, it, it does feel, you know, kind of to Ryan's point, it, it does feel like this team does have to have uh, at least 23, 24 points from Dalton Connect, though, which, I mean, he does make it look easy and can get there. But that's kind of the standard that he has set, and it's also kind of, at this point, the way the team is shaped. You're almost going to have to have it, right? Like, if he doesn't have a monster game or or have a at least a solid game, then Tennessee's going to be in real trouble. And, you know, pretty much throughout the entire history of watching Tennessee basketball, a single player scoring 23 or 24 points was considered a monster game. Like, that was considered... Big time. Now that's kind of the, the bare minimum that he's going to be able to get by with. And against most opponents, you know, against your old misses and some of those other teams, you know, you'll be able to not do that. But against Kentucky on Saturday night, maybe even against South Carolina on Tuesday, like he's going to have to score in at least the low 20s to give you a chance to win. Something I was thinking about, uh, I was checking out social media on Saturday and there was, and it was off the heels of Connect just balling out again, um, which is so wonderful to see as a Tennessee fan. But there's this whole debate of, you know, crown him now. This is your national player of the year. And, of course, there's the whole conventional wisdom of, you know, it's it's Zach Eady. And hear me out. Here's my point on this. Is everybody's saying it's just because Eady's tall and, you know, Nobody said a circus freak like somebody that's sitting next to me. But you forgot big in front of it. Big, big circus, freak. big circus freak. Yeah. Um, but but what it led me to wonder was carnival character. If what if connect? What kind of? I I would argue that if connect was say six ten, he would be getting compared to like NBA greats in my opinion. I I really think the height thing is sometimes a I think it's overblown, but b I think that it would actually benefit him in this kind of conversation even more. Well, that, that's where people come and say he's more skilled and a better basketball right. player. But, like, if he was 6'8", six, 6'9", six, 6'10", six, you would have the Kevin Durant comparison. Right. I mean, you already kind of make those. And it would almost feel – because, I mean, maybe it, we're guilty of that from the other side in terms of, yeah, sure, we downplay Edie because he's so big. And the fact that the refs never call three seconds and he just gets to stand right under the goal for, you know, minutes at a time and – lay it in because, again, they don't call three seconds and officiate him fairly. But, um, you know, Brandon Miller kind of suffered from that a little bit. Brandon Miller just looked like an NBA player, you know, as a freshman. And he he's the guy that, you know, has been the best SEC player in recent memory. And you still maybe took him for granted just because you knew, like, hey, that's an NBA prospect. Like, that's not necessarily your quote-unquote college player. And I do think Connect also benefits from – being a little bit shorter, not being a number one, number two overall pick, and also being a four or five year guy that has had to be a college player and has had to develop, and he, I think he gets the benefit of that as well as not being a big, gangly circus freak. He he plays bigger than six six, in my opinion. I, I think that well, when you can jump thirty eight, yeah. forty inches in the air, at least it feels like on his drives, like it, it does yeah. make you taller because he does not finish. At the rim, like a six-six player, he finishes at the rim like a six-eight, six-nine player because he is elevating over people. So I, I do think he, he he does probably benefit as well from even. It was funny listening to Dari Noka and Ron Slay and them reference it, but it was like, you know, you hear the cliche, but it's true. Like he does have sneaky athleticism. Like he's the best athlete on the floor, and you don't think it. And 
they did everything but stop short of saying, you know, he's it's because he's white. He doesn't look like he could come and and pipe on you. I think Ron called him Opie Taylor, but I mean, like it's it's true. Like I do think he benefits also from that, and, and like it, the yeah. degree of difficulty seems higher for him to get his points than it does Zach Eady, who gets again to just stand. Right under the rim, three second call be damned, Bob. I just want to make sure you understand that they don't call three seconds on Zach Eady. Oh, I don't know about that, but or throwing elbows whenever he pivots, he's able just to kind of clear out every time and lay it in. But that's all they did yesterday. It was it was actually kind of it's kind of tough to watch after a while. I mean, they just even as a you know somebody who grew up a Purdue fan, they just pack it down to him. And if you're Rutgers, Rutgers had an interesting game plan, but it just eventually didn't work you know that's it's uh i i just i i did think about that though over the weekend it's like it, it i'd i'd love it wouldn't bother me at all to see connect get national player of the year you, by the way do you hear that sam we went from i would love to it wouldn't bother me at all i couldn't bring himself to say he would love <laughs> to see it because he's still rooting for zach e to go back to back no he no, stopped no. short he was about to say i would love it and then he's like i wouldn't mind at all <laughs> Jordan Moore tweeted that in 99 career games, Zach Eady has made a total of seven field goals from 10-plus feet. <laughs> and in the last three games, Dalton Connect has made 13 field goals from 10-plus feet. You know, how about this? Uh, imagine imagine if Zach Eady was 6'6 and Dalton Connect was 7'3. How yeah. about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, in that okay, in that argument, you'd be saying Jimmer Fredette should be National Player of the Year over Zach Eady because he shoots more from the outside. I, I, I don't. Jimmer Fredette was better in college. But Jimmer <laughs> Fredette was very talented. Did he, uh, win national, Jimmer did he win National Player of the Year? I think his, he won one. I think he, he might had have. To, yeah. yeah, he was the biggest Jimmer. thing in basketball. Yeah, he won the Wooden Award. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I would say that. <laughs> yeah, the the year that he averaged twenty nine points a game and shot thirty nine point six percent from three, pretty damn good. Entirely different games, man. That's my point. It's one like, skilled, one just a big circus freak that gets to stand. It's like playing basketball against your dad. Your dad might not be more talented than you, but whenever you're five foot and he's six foot, you're, you're at a you're at a disadvantage. Yeah, whatever. Hour two in the books. We'll kick off hour three. We'll continue the conversation with Tennessee basketball. I assume I'll, I'll go through our notes to see if we got anything better, but there are still some. I think there's some meat here on the bone for Dalton connecting the balls. Stick with us; it's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. All right, we talked NFL football. We 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 talked about the games from yesterday. We got two weeks to do the Super Bowl. We spent an hour, at least an hour, on Dalton connecting Tennessee. Do we need to do like an updated bracketology or net ranking? I don't think there were much movements. On either of those, Tennessee now the favorite to win the SEC after the Auburn loss. Tennessee had basically pulled even with them prior to that game. And, of course, now after the loss, they are now your favorite to win the SEC regular season at plus 115. So basically basically even money. It's a coin flip whether or not Tennessee is able to do it. So a good weekend for them in that regard. Yeah, just makes – and uh, this is what we love. I mean, this week's big. I mean, the the South Carolina game, obviously not a gimme tomorrow night. Uh, Tennessee needs to take care of business. Uh, I'll be interested to see what the line comes out on that one. It's, you know. South uh, Carolina? Yeah. I'm imagining it'll be somewhere around similar to what it was with Vanderbilt, 13 points. Do you think so? Think it'll be lower or higher? I think it'll be lower. No, I think it'll be, I think it'll be around 13. Sam, what do you think? I think it'll be kind of more of like 10, 11. I thought 10. 
myself. Well, all price is right. You all take 12 and a half, and you guys can have everything <laughs> under. Uh, I'll compromise. Since you guys said 10, 11, and 10, I'll give you even an extra point and a half. I'll, I'll take 12 and a half. And being at home might help, though. Well, being at home is going to be a yeah a big help. Yeah. Like, Tennessee is going to – I mean, South Carolina beat Kentucky, but I just think the metrics play such a big part in like, the analytics, and Tennessee is still oh, quite a bit ahead of South Carolina in that. So, yeah, I'll, I'll say 12 and a half or above. Tennessee up to 14 to 1 or down to 14 to 1 to win the title. Hmm. So that's moved a lot over the last couple of weeks as Tennessee is now thought to be like legitimized in the national conversation. That went from 22 to 1 and last week was 16 to 1. They dropped a couple more spots, 14 to 1. Only only behind North Carolina, Houston, Connecticut and Purdue. So the fifth best odds to win the title. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Tennessee's still kind of holding on as a two seed, so no big updates there. So we, we can switch gears now. We have exhausted that conversation for the day. We'll do it again tomorrow. Stats by Will as we kind of preview South Carolina. They, I was just looking at bracketology. The last ones, both from uh, Lenardi and Jerry Palm, came out on Friday. And they, they're both pretty consistent. They still have Tennessee as a two seed, both going into the, the south with Houston as the one seed in that region. But uh, I was going to ask if you guys got a chance to watch any of the other uh, – Top teams play a little bit on the weekend. No, nah, I really didn't. Uh, I didn't. I had a golf event and the Royal Rumble, and I, I watched Auburn. I watched Auburn play. I watched that Mississippi State game. But outside of that, that was pretty much it. Sam, you? Yeah, I was watching hoops all, all Saturday. I watched uh, that Kansas game, obviously. Uh, yeah. I was watching North Carolina, Auburn, Mississippi State. Uh, watch that Arizona game and then watch the Kentucky game also. So I was kind of all over the place. Doing some scouting. Good yeah, job. Yeah. Bob, what were your takeaways from the national college football well, game, or college basketball game? Excuse me. No, that's fine. I, I think that, uh, yeah, to Sam's point, the Kansas-Iowa State game was as good as advertised. Mm-hmm. Eli got that one right. He, uh, he, he had kind of pushed that as a – kind of a win you know he picked Iowa State by a possession and um could have been better but there was anybody who went with cans or I'm sorry Iowa State minus four and a half got hosed it was a hosed. serious backdoor <laughs> cover at the end uh Iowa uh Iowa State misses the front end of a one-on-one Kansas gets down with five seconds to go hits a three-pointer at the buzzer um but he said he had him at three and a half um yeah, tough. yeah that was a tough one but uh but kind of hope he had Four and a half after what he did to me with the <laughs> Baltimore game, just to be honest. Um, what was interesting there was post-game Bill Self complaining about unbalanced scheduling in the conference. He was basically saying that it's not favoring Kansas, but it favors a lot of other teams. And it's like, man, you, I'm sorry. I, and I think we talked about good coaches last week, and we love Bill Self as a coach. Take all the other noise out of it. But that is the last guy I want to hear complaining about scheduling inadequacies i mean they they're they're there every year so um houston i watched a little of houston for the first time and uh man they're well jerome tang from kansas state said that's the best college basketball defense he's ever seen ever um their defense is great obviously they they're so counter they you know we we talk about how important it is to have a big to go deep into march they don't their biggest guy's six seven 
Um, but they just get after it, and they're they're just so so good. Samson's such a good coach. It was really the first time I've watched them for an extended amount of time. I came away really impressed. Um, and Car and Carolina. The other thing I'll say, and I'll open it up for you guys and your thoughts is, I watched some of North Carolina at Florida State, and it underscores what we've been talking about. Winning on the road is hard. Florida State's okay, but they were with North Carolina all the way through, and North Carolina's hot as hell. Yeah. So. Yeah, I know my friends were all kind of locked in on that game, hoping North Carolina would stumble, but they were able to kind of squeak it out. Houston, kind of what we talked about, no big. They're going to have to rely on some timely three-point shooting, and that's just scary when it comes to the tournament. True. You know, Tennessee has fallen, you know, twice the last couple of years because of, of bad three-point shooting in the tournament. Those big arenas, especially in the Sweet 16, Elite 8, you start playing. I mean, I know Madison Square Garden is still – a basketball arena, but to get dropped in there and have to play a, an important game there, kind of like whenever Kenny Chandler and them had to play in Indianapolis, you know, in, in Baker's Fieldhouse or wherever it was at, like, those are big NBA-style things, and Thompson Bowling is like that, but it's not quite the same, and everything's different, and it just, you need to be able to score inside, whether by driving the basketball or or by, you know, getting to the free throw line. What did you? We haven't talked about Zakai. Any thoughts on his game from the weekend? I mean, he's kind of settled back in as that ten and five guy, the 17, 18, 20 points a game he had started conference play with, kind of settled back down to just being a consistent ten points. I, I would say it's more of what I expect from him. It's been wonderful when he's had those big point games, but I I just didn't think that was sustainable with him. Uh, I, I'm not sure I'd want it to be sustainable with him, to be honest with you. Again, we want. After what we've been seeing, I think we want Connect getting more of the shots than Zakai. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want Connect getting twenty shots a game. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how that works if somebody takes him out or you know if he's struggling. But until he starts struggling, we won't have to worry about that. Eight six five five four six eighty two hundred. We'll open the phone lines up for the last thirty minutes of the show. Bob, you said you had some media stuff you wanted to get to? I do. I want to talk about a topic in particular, which is uh, the situation that's going on with the front line, what I would call the top NFL analysts Okay, um, that's coming up. So, yeah, I definitely want to talk about that. Before we go, though, one more thing in college basketball. Southeastern 14, I don't know if you follow that, but that's a that's a great follow as well. You have to rebrand to Southeastern 16 soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, through three weeks of SEC play, the all-Ken Palm team for SEC players, um, Janai Broom, Dalton Connect, obviously, Mark Sears, Wade Taylor. Jonas Adu. Jonas Adu. Yeah. Notice I'm a name that's not on there from Kentucky. Big Z. Reeves? No. I mean, I don't know. He's no, a... Antonio Reeves. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> your two favorite players, I was just checking. Uh, Sam, how are you holding up with Big ZD and, and Reeves not being on the list? I'm feeling fine about that, honestly. I think that's a good list. I think those are probably your five best players in the conference right now. So that's just – so Kim Palm's just doing it from metrics, like who the five Absolutely. best. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like those – those seem to check out as to what you're actually watching on the game, too. I mean, Connect and Adu, I think, are both top five players in the conference this year. Yeah, I agree. Especially and when you're talking about efficiency, because like Adu does so much with little, like low usage. You know, he gets the ball, he scores, and then doesn't you know get a lot of shots. Say he's missing. This comes back around to again this whole argument that Kentucky fans have about their guys should be getting their flowers for uh, SEC Player of the Year. I would argue 
honestly, everybody on that list except Adu would be at the level of Reeves or maybe in front of him. And that includes Sears, Wade Taylor, who's a gamer, and yeah. Janai Broom, who's playing great. Just let that go to show you, Kentucky. You're no longer the runaway premier co- uh, program in basketball, especially in the conference. You're not. Sorry. The playing field is now even. And one more thing on the college basketball front. We didn't we we communicated on social media about it, but what in the hell is tennis is Texas's problem, man? Oh my god. I mean, it's unbelievable. What why they think uh, they're going to get slaughtered in the SEC. They're going to they're yeah. going to cry. Yeah, we we keep saying we want to do winners and losers of the weekend. We need to eventually get back to doing that to kind of recap the weekend because Texas to me would have been the second biggest loser of the weekend. Who was your biggest? BYU for apologizing. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I was saying that. Mark Pope, I was like, come on, man. What, what, why are you doing that? You, we don't do that here. Shut up. There's a yeah. shirt. Like, I understand if you're BYU and you're like, hey, we don't chant profanity. We don't do things like that. I get that. I respect that, BYU. Hey, we don't drink soda in our stands. Okay, that's fine. No sex. All right, that's fine. I get it, BYU. You do you. The rest of college athletics does them. But, like, to say we don't wear a shirt that says horns down, that spells out horns down, like, really? Really, BYU? Texas has been crying about this for a month and looks about as soft as anyone, and somehow BYU comes out looking like bigger nerds because they apologize and ask their students to take the shirts off. (laughs) Give me a break. But, yeah, like, one thing I remember from childhood is that if you let people know that you're insecure about something – will definitely do it less when they're trying to bother you. <laughs> when your brother knows that it bothers you that you don't have any eyebrows because of a tragic accident where you fell into a coffee table and lost your eyebrows, and you have rosacea so your hair doesn't grow grow great, and it looks like you don't have eyebrows for, until you're like in sixth grade, I did realize that telling my brother that that bothered me, he definitely never brought it up whenever he <laughs> wanted to fight with me. He definitely never talked about me not having eyebrows. I just hope... Uh, it must have felt bad that they, you know, they ran him out. And so I guess he was like, well, that's enough. I'm going to actually take the high road. I, I I couldn't believe I was hearing that. It's like they're just feeding the, the Texas madness. And I'm sorry about your situation with your brother. I that hope Danny like, White has a they horns down in. T-shirt yeah. for us the first time that Texas comes to Neyland Stadium. Yeah, I mean, like the SEC. I mean, like, I, I, look, so a, a tweeter sent this in. So I don't I don't know his name. I didn't go back and get it. I don't. This isn't my thought, but it's a good point. So you're kind of getting credit. But like he's like, hey, hate Florida, but at least give them for credit for not crying about the Gator Chomp. Yeah. Like every fan base taunts Florida with the Gator Chomp whenever they lose. Like that's that's uh, the players do on the court. Yeah. And you never really hear Florida cry about it. So very rarely will I say something nice about Florida, but I'll at least say at least they haven't cried and ran to the commissioner like, please make them stop doing the Gator Chomp, please. It's <coughs> true. Because like I mean, it's just a, it's just a simple. Hey, horns down. Like, Oklahoma's been doing it for 20 years. Like, why does it bother them that everyone else is doing it? Yeah, There's a picture of Josh Heupel doing it coming off the field when he played in Oklahoma. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, it's been a thing for a long time. Like, why all of a sudden has it become such a, a point of contention or, like, such a soft spot for them? Again, it's not vulgar. I get if you don't want to hear people say bleep you and all that stuff. I get that. There, there's certain things you don't want your kids to hear and, and players and, like, you know, your religion all that. I get it. But, like, to, I can't imagine being a, a grown man with kids and be like, no, no, turn those upside right. Please don't disrespect our, 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 our mascot, our symbol. 
it's like a rule in the Big 12 that they can't do it. Is that rule going to transfer over into the SEC? I hope because not. it better not. Yeah. I hope not. Which I think that's part of the reason Texas has all of a sudden tried to like steal the power T. Like if you look at some of their their logoing they're using, they're using that power T a whole lot more now. I think they're trying to get away from the horns so people quit putting the horns down. <laughs> but yeah, keep crying about it because the more we know it bothers you, the less all the mean college fans will do it. They'll respect your your trigger warning. Is this? But is this a Rodney Terry thing? Because I never have heard Sark say a word about this stuff. You know? No, it became a football thing a couple years ago, where the conference basically stepped in and was like, "You're going to get a penalty, and like it's going to be this. You, you can't do it." So like, it's not just a Rodney Terry thing, but he's making it worse. Yeah. And like in basketball, of course, you have more interaction with the fans than you do in football. So like, it's not like Sarkeesian's running up to the crowd and telling them not to do <laughs> That's it. That's true. That's true. You only play four road games in conference usually. I mean, I don't know if the Big Ten, maybe they play five. I don't know, but I don't think they do. I guess some years they may be. I don't, I don't know what their schedule's like. But in the SEC, you play four road games, so it's not like you're going to be hit with it as many times in basketball as you're playing 10, 11 road games. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like, if I was a Texas fan and the basketball team's getting blown out and our coach is making an ass of himself, it would put him on the hot seat as far as I was concerned. I'd be like, he took over Chris Beard's team. And did okay. Like, he did good last year. But now that, like, he's in charge of the program, we're an embarrassment. And, like, I would want to fire him. That's how I would feel. Like, he can't coach good enough, and he's making us – he's embarrassing us. He's making us look softer than we are. Yeah, that's what I thought about is if he ends up losing his job, does he start to point to – I just couldn't handle the – You drove me crazy. The outrage. (laughs) The damn – the horn's down. I I couldn't focus. I just see red. (laughs) That's what you should say. Like, wh- why did you get blown out by BYU? Well, the, that shirt. It's all I could focus about. Damn it. I just love this university so much, and I love Bevo. And when I see people disrespect Bevo and our horns, I just can't focus on anything. Um, That's why we got blown out. That's why we've lost twice by 20 points the last couple weeks is because, damn it, the horn's down. Another one to monitor. I just heard it from a listener who said uh, – did you see the student body from Butler University giving the upside down V when they they played Villanova on Saturday? Did you see that? I did I, see that. I didn't yeah. see it was an upside it. down V, like just <laughs> down like this. Yeah, it was like. This. Oh, okay. Okay, I was doing okay. Well, I'm glad we're not on video for that one, but uh, yeah, it, um, we'll see if uh, Villanova starts crying. Some some hostile environments in in basketball. Ed Cooley come back oh, came back God. to the dunk this weekend, and he got. Berated, basically. They were saying they had to, like, it was almost a crowd control issue, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, those Providence the fans. The students, were... like, trampled getting into, this, into the yeah. uh, arena at the start of the game. I, I got to give one of their fans credit, though, because they had one of the best signs to bring into yes. the game. <laughs> Did you see it? It's, no. It spelled out coolly, and it said, See? Cheats? Oh, on wife. And that was it. Because <laughs> those are rumors. I mean, like those are actually some pretty, like, hot rumors, and that's part of the reason yeah. why he jumped ship was basically, like, his wife. Caught him having an affair. I was like, "We're leaving." Like you're, you're. The students it. did a "Where's your mistress?" chant. Okay, so yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, kind of like you know, we do with Kiffin. I mean, yeah. Kiffin, we did the same thing with him. So like, it makes more sense for Cooley leave Providence for you know what Georgetown. I mean, just to go there. I mean, I, I get Georgetown's a historic program, but like, yeah. So that sign just cheats on wife, and that was it. <laughs> that, <laughs> Didn't even bother with the other letters. That just, game, that game had two of the all-time great. <laughs> player names too uh georgetown's got supreme cook is his name and then and then our old tennessee guy ticket Gaines. he's like changed his name like to ticket yeah, yeah. um it's pretty good actually yeah 
He's actually played pretty well. He's, he's, he's pretty solid. Yeah. 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 Good for him. Um, <clears throat> yeah. That. I. The Cooley thing was a little much. I mean, he made Providence relevant again. That's. Uh, he basically went out and said that in his press conference after he was like, I mean, you can talk about, you know, me leaving this school all you want, but you could also say that like, I'm the reason why this, this arena was like this, this type of environment yeah. today. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Like is Providence yeah. basketball, did it not really exist before Cooley? Well, they were way I remember back when, like back in the day, like I, I liked the teams they had back in the day a couple times. God, Sham God. Well, no, not that, not that long ago. Yeah, but no, they um, they went to a Final Four way back like in the 70s and then uh, Patino. No, it wasn't Patino. Patino was there, but then Billy Donovan took him. No, Patino did take him to the Final Four. Billy Donovan was his point guard. Right. Um, <clears throat> and then – uh, Barnes was there for a little bit. Tim Welch. They, yeah, they had some. They had some dry years okay. for sure. Okay. Um, they were pretty irrelevant in the Tim Welch era for sure. So yeah, he he definitely brought them back to being somewhat relevant. They were getting, honestly, there was a moment where they were starting to be looking like the way DePaul does in the Big East right now. Okay. So he he turned it around. But. Uh, well, nice of Providence to stick to just making fun of his his adultery and not like the hair thing he's got going on because that would have been low hanging fruit. And as a man that's follically challenged, I wouldn't have appreciated that. So, like you know, at least they took the upper road. Uh, at least in that uh, in that situation. All right, enough college basketball. We'll talk some media landscape as we get ready for the Super Bowl in a couple weeks. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio.